Hello, and welcome to another instalment of the Evolution Exchange Gaming Podcast, where we connect leaders in the gaming industry to discuss interesting topics. I'm Sol, I'll be your host today, and I'm joined by a fantastic panel to discuss the passions and challenges of audio direction. I hope you enjoy the episode. Right, guys, let's start off with some introductions for our listeners today. Uh, Stefan, if you want to kick us off, please, just tell us who you are, what you do, and what you're passionate about, please. Yeah, hi, um, I'm Stefan Ramsofer. I'm the audio director at Laren. used to work uh, at Ubisoft the last nine years, I think, then before that for Piranha Bytes, worked on different titles. Um, and uh, for electronic arts, and then in between, I was teaching at several universities, uh, game audio and audio in general. And before I started 15 years ago, my career in game audio, I did TV and movie audio stuff for roughly 10 years. Um, so that's my my rough background. And at the moment, as I said, working uh, with just chipped the uh, Sky three and uh, working on uh, Naren. Thank you, Stefan. Uh, over to yourself, Richard, please. Hi, I'm Richard Lockington. I'm the audio director here at Remedy Games. I've been with Remedy now for about 13 years. And before that, I've worked in Midway and Bugbear. And before that, I used to be a musician. Um, some interesting things about myself. Uh, I really like to work with dialogue. That's my passion in general. Um, so, and I have a bit of a background also in programming as well. So I've done some coding in that. Uh, we're currently at Remedy. We're currently just coming to the end of Alan Wake 2. So that's my main job at the moment is trying to get that out the door. Um, moving on. Thank you, Richard. Uh, Franco? Hi, everyone. My name is Franco. I'm the head of audio at Paradox Interactive. I've been in games for the last 15 years. I've been all over the place. Started um, in Argentina doing music conversion to mod and XM formats. For those of you that know what that is, uh, for Nintendo DSi, Wii games, and went all the way from there to developing web games, then mobile games, then came back to PC and console, and uh, being in the paradox for the last uh, six years, uh, where I lead a team of uh, 10, 11 people, and we handle the uh, audio for all of the paradox development titles. Uh, so yeah, it's very exciting. I'm uh, musically trained. Uh, that's where I started, had bands all my life, and then found myself uh into the okay what do i do during the day hours and then found my way into games thank you franco and finally chris well hello everyone I, i'm chris i'm the director of music and audio at crytech in frankfurt um been there two and a half years now we have a team of 17 people working across all our titles and that covers kind of audio programming audio qa music and um sound design uh before that uh I had a quite varied career. I was mostly working as a musician, so I was working a lot in the advertising industry, a um, bit of films, and that kind of ended up with me going into a kind of immersive events and immersive media, and then that led its way to computer games. So, yeah, that's pretty much me. Thank you very much, Chris. Thank you all for your introductions there. I hope that gives you, the listener, a bit of an idea on who it is you'll be listening to over the next hour. Hi, everyone. This is Chris Bennett here, the Knowledge Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. 
If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. So we've got four really interesting subtopics around the topic of audio direction to discuss today. Um, Stefan, we'll start with your topic. You've proposed the topic of vision building, how to formulate it and how to communicate it. So if you could give us a bit of an idea on why you chose that one and what it is that's particularly uh, interesting to it about you. Yeah. Um, so basically, uh, I chose it because out of the years working on on several projects, um, I figured out that there is always something that you need to stick to. There's always a goal that you need to uh, that you need to create, and at the end, when you when you look at what um, uh, what a project is, it's a time boxed working uh, group of people working together on one thing. It's always about what do we want to achieve in this in this time box. How whatever the size of the time box is. When you have six years like we had with Baldur's Gate, or if we had a small VR game at Ubisoft that had like six months, um, always the, the the focus needs always to be on what do we want to achieve? Because otherwise, you're, the power of yourself and your team will go into very different directions. Because that's if you look at um, project management and you uh, and uh, look into um, Forming, norming, storm, uh, forming, storming, norming, performing. Would you ever heard that uh, the, those spaces? It's always about in the beginning. I always see a raft there with people puddles on it, and you have the the, the people getting together. You know the, the forming. So people sitting on that raft, and then everybody starts to go into some direction. Basically, the forces going left, right, and you just turn around with that with that raft, and it's not going into a direction. Um, so therefore, you need my job as a director is to build up this goal over here. Here is a, here is a goal that we want to achieve uh, over there, and therefore I need to I need to talk to the team. I need to convince the team. I need to I need to hype up the team for that's what we want to achieve, and this is over here. And therefore, hopefully, the whole team goes into the same direction and realizes, oh yeah, cool, this is over there, and we all want to achieve that. So. All of the processes that we're doing, uh, all of the meetings uh, that we're doing, all of them are focused on ending up at a certain point uh, in uh, in in a certain timeline. So basically, it's then the the, the uh, hopefully norming uh, takes into place, which all of the people, all the forces going into the same direction, roughly at least. And then um, we're coming into performing, which means that now we can really get uh, get the stuff done you know we go through all of the tasks we really go through them as quicker as possible to achieve what the goal over there is therefore but you only can do that and the whole process is only valid and functional if you have a real goal i think the biggest issues that i ever encountered in various games where where we where we did not end up where we wanted to end up is that there was no point of where we wanted to end up it was like there is this big game that we want to do, and it was all black boxy and nebulous and like thing, you know, that we want to achieve. So basically, everybody had his own vision, but our job as directors, in at least my perspective on what audio direction is, is to establish this um, this goal, this vision, um, and help the people to achieve it and to go into this direction you know, with all of the tools that I have in hand for working together explaining meetings 
um, collaborative approaches, all of those tools are pointing to this. So therefore, I took it as, as our kind of uh, as this topic here, because I would love to know what, what you guys think about that, how you handle that. But for me, it's super important to establish this. The reason is now clarified, but for me, it's important to how do you establish that? Um, because then it's always the thing in the beginning of a project. How do you establish a real vision? And then how do you communicate and how do you keep this alive over the course of sometimes years of production in the AAA type? Yeah, that's me. So, I mean, from my perspective, it's it's a, it's a very, very interesting uh, question and, and something that, that typically starts the whole process is what what is the purpose of audio in this project? Right, like before you can even formulate a plan of action, before you can even communicate it onto the team, you, you know, as an art director, you need to be able to identify what does the player uh, care about what audio can provide, and then of course, you know, it might be up to to um, to each uh, each creative um, perspective and possibilities to then expand on that and maybe uh, try to show to the to the player, like, look, there is something that maybe you didn't. You didn't think you wanted this, but we can we can certainly uh, help you help you see how this can can improve your experience. But at the end of the day, it's all from my perspective. It's all about what do we need audio for, um, and so once once that's defined, and then you know you you clearly uh, have some scenarios where you're going to need to start building. Then for the team in general, um, audio pillars seems to be the easiest way to establish a common ground, even though audio pillars on themselves might also be, you know, due to 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 be interpreted in a variety of ways. And, and this is also something to, to definitely have into account. It's not um, necessary for the audio pillars to be self-explanatory, but they should, in a way, try to put everyone in the same mindset or in the same emotional feel um, so that you can start building with that in mind, because then we, we all have some sort of intuition, especially as, you know, uh, audio, audio designers, audio directors, creative people in general, you have an intuition of what, um, some, some of those, um, keywords or, or feelings might actually sound like, right. Um, so I think that would be, uh, the, the way to, to take it in, in the, at the beginning, it's just trying to establish yourself in. What do we need to achieve and how do we want it to feel? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting question. Um, you know, keeping people motivated throughout, you know, with a vision throughout a whole project is a, is a very difficult one. And one I'm definitely finding at the moment with projects and kind of um, concepting and, you know, pre-production. Um, and I think it's it's like uh, definitely feeling what both of you are saying there. I think the the idea of it the feeling and intuition is very important and that genuineness that you come to the people with it with as an audio director so sometimes waiting until your ideas are completely solidified and feel genuine within you um and you have a real emotive response to them rather than it's just like a logical solution solution to a problem um really feeling like you have a a direction that you can you can really kind of genuinely feel and direct to people is very important and that people can feel that so they don't just get kind of told what to do they get inspired what to do and I think once you get that inspiration within a team some of the details you can let slip you know like everyone's moving in the same direction on the same rafts like you say and they have the same intention 
And some of the ways they can fulfill that intention can change within a team. And I think that's the beauty of teamwork is that, you know, it's the, the greater whole kind of thing is that people come with ideas that you just wouldn't think of. Um, but somehow keeping that uh, intention and that um, that feeling alive of of what you want the person to experience, I think, is what it always comes down to to me is like, you know, sometimes coming at it in that way of like, what do you want the person who's playing this game to feel to experience and then everyone can put their own feelings into that and that their own way to kind of get that experience from from playing it and i actually think the more input you have into that the more your team play in that the more likely you are to cover a lot of bases and get a lot of people feeling that experience um so yeah so for me it has to come from a place of being kind of genuine and then that allows you to really kind of inspire the team and that allows you to drive your vision, hopefully. And um, I think, uh, Stefan, I'd be interested to see what your point was in terms of the problem that I always come to with this is that um, sometimes you can over-direct. You can kind of tell people too much and then they feel like they lack their ownership, they lack their input, and then that can demotivate them in a sense. So it's like, it's a careful balance between how much you allow people to have their own direction and their own vision and how much you you kind of control that as well. I, I agree very much with all of you. I particularly have in the past used a lot of like pillar structures and stuff on games to really try and define what we're doing. What I found recently though, and it's sort of kind of grown in my own career and my own experiences is that I tend now to actually build two different visions for a game and split them up. So I have the outward facing to the publisher or to the to the you know the the non-audio people vision and i have a a more in-depth complex and even more organic version which i use to communicate with the team themselves which uses a lot more kind of like audio language audio direction in a way um and the one the outward facing one is usually more i'd say it's more superficial in a way because it is on a higher level the inward facing one is more much more important to get it kind of right, because that's the one you use to basically evangelize the audio to the team itself and try and inspire them. Like you were saying, Chris, it's like, it's all about this building and inspiring the team and getting them all running in the same direction. Um, and then within that, I try to then split it in between two, two different. So you have the creative side, which is, is actually, I find very, very difficult because Audio vision, firstly, is unlike art vision, visual, visual, like uh, vision where you can put like mood boards and have everything on a mirror board somehow. And it all looks really beautiful. Then you have audio, which is based in time, of course. And then you go like, how do you kind of like create that same kind of like vision based on on sound, you know? Because you can't just put it on a mood board. You have to kind of like create videos or and that. So, um, so that's one of the challenges, definitely, is actually be able to get that audio message across to the team and to the and to the uh, the wider audience as well. But um, looking, so the, the, there's the outside of it, and then I was saying there's also kind of like the production side of it. Like, what's the methodology you're going into is actually building the team and what you're going to tell them how to actually create this game. What are your what are your building blocks there as well? Um, I think that's very very much part of the vision as well, and that. And how you do that and how you actually start building and structuring your projects kind of like leads your way through all the way to the end, all the way to the mix phase. Like how do you compartmentalize all the audio within the game and actually get through all the way to the mix phase? So, and actually following that vision through is really, really important and structuring it early is important. 
But uh, on the art side, I find it quite challenging as well, because a lot of the time we need to create an audio version before we really know what the game looks like. Um, you know, so you're waiting for all the concept art to come in. You're getting kind of like a little bit pressured to like, okay, what was it going to sound like? I'm like, ah, oh, we're not too sure. Yeah. So I think it's it's important as well for an audio director to be very open that this game is not going to be the when you're in the pre-production phase, it's not necessarily going to be the same as when you're at the end. You have to allow it to change as you go through. So yeah, I think that's kind of like I think the biggest thing for me is is kind of like organically letting the vision to change, but trying to stay within a structured, focused like direction. Yeah, um, I I would love to add that. Uh, I think that I also work with more than one vision, uh, but I do not separate them to inside the team uh, or inside the company uh, outside the company uh, i for, for me it's 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 a it's a little bit more aligned but uh, i think it's a good idea that i might need to take into account for the next one um but the thing is uh, i i separate them a little bit more in, in in rather bigger topics because for me there is always the part of um, what is the the creative audio vision what is the technical audio vision and what is the organizational one basically project management because all of that is part uh, is for me part of that because all of them need to work together so that, that i achieve really um, good uh, soundscape at the end i i need to know that i have the right tools because they will lead me to using the right methods and hopefully working with a with with the right size of teams so that they are not overworked uh, but they, uh, but they can do their job in, in, in this, in the, in the, in the best level, in the best way that they can so that they have the time to do that stuff. But therefore also tools needs to be there. For me, uh, one of the rules that I always set up with when I, um, in Ubisoft, I had up to four pro audio programmer, I think. And one of the things that we always discussed was if one of our team members need to do something more than uh, the same thing three times, then we need to automate it. There's like always, there's a 70% of, of work that is just redundant after a certain point, and you can get rid of that. And then you have 30% of work that is about the creative or the technical challenge, depends on the on the role that you're talking with. Um, but then you can focus, they can focus on those 30% uh, uh, better than just doing the, I need to point click here and then drag this here and then, you know, save and then purple and whatever. So if you get all of the rid of a lot of that, it's about the technical uh, audio vision. So there's a part and then to achieve the creative one. And I think that was really cool with uh, what, uh, uh, what you said, uh, Franco, with the, because it's, 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 or maybe also clarifying this vision for me, it's like really, it should be this, you know, this, this, this thing that everybody wants to get there. It's, it's, it's about inspiring. I think as you said, Richard, it's more about inspiring. Uh, maybe it was you, Chris. Sorry. But, uh, it's about inspiring, getting the people, uh, uh, to be, to think that really what we're doing here is cool. There's always the point of where do you get the vision from? Because this is always. There's always a, a creative director or a CEO or somebody who's who's responsible for the bigger thing. That's the game game director. Different titles, different thing. But at the end, there is one person that you need to talk to, and then are your peer directors that you need to talk to, and then it needs to be aligned with all of that. That is how I built so a lot of talking with the directors in the beginning, figuring out what we are all about, and when they have some sentences or stuff that they're really into. Then normally for me, it's uh, it's a fun fact. It's always the time that I have more time to think about is always in the shower. So always when I'm showering, I have to like, 
ah, they said X. And then it's like, it's true. We could maybe if we, you know, then it's like, okay, I need to go out and then I write that stuff down. And then it's always about figuring out what the cool idea about this game is and what the player uh, uh, should experience at the end. That's, that's, I think, what you sum up here. And when you bring all of this together, you have this, you have the possibility to have this, the thing that everybody strives to and everybody's interested to go there. Uh, yeah. I think, uh, I think, Franco, you want to say something. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I totally understand what you're, where you're going to. And, um, and also, Richard, what you mentioned about this external and internal, I also um, reflected a little bit on that. I think the, the, the hard part about Audivision, as we, as we see it's mostly expected, is that, yes, the mood board scenario, which is obviously very difficult to, to replicate from the audio perspective, we also have this subjective versus objective nature of audio and visual, like everything that is in front of you, you can, you know, obviously there are subtleties on on a mood board, but you can instantly see if there's a hand or if there's an arm or if there's, you know, a black background or, or a very shiny present one. And in audio, it's a little bit more complicated to come across with that. So yes, again, it goes back onto the feeling. It, we produce something in, in, a, in a layer of the of the the players' minds, but also our colleagues and our you know the the teams uh, that we're interfacing with, which they might not even understand uh, it, it essentially what what's really going on, right? So so I think that's very interesting. But I also really like what you mentioned, Stefan, about having um, making sure that audiovision is not only about uh, fancy words and feelings and inspiration, because in re in the end, audiovision is about getting the job done. You know, we need we need to plan this uh, course of action, and uh, I think it, one of the metrics of being a successful audit director is to actually make sure that while you do the uh, the process of trying to come up with a, a creative approach to a solution uh, that might be quite common, or you know, uh, you could you could definitely relate to in different ways. Um, you still need to to make sure that all of this makes it onto the finish line in a way that is coherent. And that is expected to be expanded as well, even if it's just for a patch or a DLC or whatever. Like this is something that hopefully will accompany you for the longest time, right? Well, uh, thank you very much for your insights on uh, topic one, there, guys. You are on fire, all four of you. Uh, <laughs> let's not slow down the momentum there and jump straight into topic two. Uh, Franco, to spin it back to yourself, you've supplied the subtopic of turning design into functionality how to find your audio champion among the dev team and realize your vision. So give us an idea of yeah. why you chose that one. So essentially, I think it, in a way it connects to what we were just talking about, right? Like, let's say that now we have an audio vision, we have an idea of what we want to do. We have communicated externally onto the team and to the, you know, the creative director, the game director, whoever is going to be, uh, you know, trying to see how every discipline is, is pushing forward in the same direction. And now... We have uh, also an internal understanding with the audio team, with the composers, the sound designers, uh, whoever, you know, audio programmers, video designers, whoever you're working with, everyone is on the same page, kind of like with that internal, uh, you know, language, that secret language, right, that we, we have established as well. But now you need to be able to go back into the game team, to the different disciplines. And, you know, it depends on how every company is structured, I guess, and how every team is structured. But sometimes it might be that you rely a lot more on, on team members on the dev side, um, like, you know, maybe you don't have an in-house programmer that, or, you know, internal programmer that you can always rely on to. So you need to go in to someone and say like, by the way, I need you to give me this data 
And you don't really know why, but I'm, I can guarantee you that as soon as you do give me this data, everything in your game is going to start working magically because I've already prepared all of this on my side, right? So um, in my experience, what, what has always help, helped is to try and do a little bit of, uh, of uh, you know, scouting in amongst the dev team. And this is not something that necessarily has to always be the programmers, but, you know, in the effort of efficiency, I try to find first if there is a programmer that I can vibe with that i can make sure that they relate to to this but once that's done then it's going to help out tremendously in bringing the the, the message across and of course then this is going to go into time boxing for them as well if there is a task that needs to happen they're going to they're going to uh they're going to have to figure out how that fits into their timeline and uh you know development milestones and all that you, you obviously want to make sure that you're calling for the right things at the right moment you don't necessarily want to start building functionality after you know everything has already been done and now you're supposed to just be releasing in a couple of months but you just realize that it would be great to have you know a footstep detection system like okay maybe it's a little bit too late for that um but yes if you do have an audio champion in the team there's a lot more leeway into trying to make your vision come through this is what has been my experience but it also helps tremendously in making sure that the team feel a part of your vision the the game team in this case not just the audio team they realize that they have also contributed to making audio great and hey maybe they'll start playing it with headphones yeah i think it's a really interesting point that how because basically what I'm getting from your question is basically how does audio integrate into the game team as a whole? And how do you actually make sure that you're getting what you need from the dev team as an audio director and from what the dev team is actually getting from you? I think, ironically, I think this is actually a lot to do with what we were just talking about. It's the vision and the, and the structure of uh, what, you're, what you're trying to do and then how you structure your own team and the vision of how you structure your own team to actually then go out. Um, I think a lot of what um, getting a good communication with the audio team is to do with empowering all the sound designers within that team and all the tech designers, you know, audio tech designers and all the programmers, and empowering them and making them feel comfortable in and having the kind of like uh, will to go into the dev team themselves and find that information for themselves, basically. So it shouldn't be all kind of like channeling up to the top of the triangle, which is you, that's not, which is the director's role. It, it has to be coming from the low team lower down and that's because audio of course as we all know because we all work in audio is we basically touch every single pie in the game you have a finger in every single one of those and there's no way that a single person can keep up with the information flow and the amount of requirements and the amount of hooks that that you need so you have to split it across the team then the question is then how do you break down that team into the right gets just picking the right people with the right personalities and then pairing them correctly within the dev team I mean, um, luckily, uh, where I work with the, the the general dev team is pretty audio aware, so it's it's like a it's not like a big struggle to get the information out of, out of out of the team. They're actually really really good at um, coming to us with ideas and coming to us for it with things. But what I really try and do is, and when I'm in the pre-production phase, is actually start to think about the structure of my audio team make sure i pair them off with the correct like you have like get you know the gameplay leads and the level design leads and the, some cinematics team so uh, and then help as much as i can in actually building that relationship 
in those different areas to make sure that they they feel comfortable and feel like the information flow is actually working correctly. That's I think that's key to what to what um to, for exactly this this issue. Yeah, I definitely uh, agree with the the points mentioned completely. Um, I think it, it you know it comes down to I think it like we've all said it ties in very closely with what we we're talking about before. I think if you have a really strong foundational view of your vision and you're not just kind of thinking about terms of audio, you're thinking about this kind of experience and emotions, that's something you can communicate to anyone, you know, like, and I think that it's on that, it's that like communication. It's like finding shared things to talk about. Like, oh, you know, I remember recently we were talking about the breath system in The Last of Us. And it's like someone can come at it from like a game design point of view. Someone can come at it from like a UX point of view. Someone come from an audio. And then once you bring everyone together, everyone's just like, yeah, that's just cool, isn't it? Like it just works. It's a really great thing. It hits us on a very instinctive level. And so many departments can understand that and also realize that we're all together in this. And I think it's that, you know, finding those levels of communication, those similar ways to talk about something uh, so that everyone can understand it. Um, and then also, I think it's very much like Richard, like what you were touching on, and Franco, um, coming at it in an open way, in a in a way to communicate, like not defensive. I think sometimes I've noticed in computer game companies, things can deteriorate quite quickly with art versus narrative versus audio versus programming. And you all feel like you're against each other, but you're all pushing to make the same game. So you're all together. And I think it's like, the minute you get past that and you realize you're all on the same team and that all these things should just be open communication, like, oh, I thought of a cool idea and you talk to a game designer and it's just an open share of communication. There's no like um, right or wrong. It's just kind of ideas on the table. And I think like, yeah, it's just facilitating that communication. And I think that, again, it, it comes from the top. If you talk to your team about oh, audio, you know, art have done this or this has happened like that, like that team start feeling that and it's like if you're just open and um you know like push that kind of togetherness in your team i think it definitely helps facilitate that communication and um and yeah i, I definitely agree that it it's the the, the most eye-opening thing i've had in the last two and a half years on these bigger projects is that you cannot do it on your own coming from a freelancer point of view where i was like oh yeah i'll do music i'll do audio it's all fine uh you know it's impossible and on these projects you just have to trust your team and you have to have your team communicating with other people in the dis different disciplines and you can't all come from you like you said um so yeah definitely agree with all the points mentioned very interesting yeah i think that uh, <clears throat> uh the part that that was mentioned also in the in the vision building was basically bringing team to work on that vision um and 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 inspire them to work on that vision which is basically should lead to empowerment i think that was basically the term or basically the idea that was mentioned a few times uh, in, in the whole topic basically for me it's also about here's a vision there is uh, over here's the vision then we are at the moment over here, we need to get over there. And then there are a lot of ways and passes to go there. There are a few things that you need to take into account in, in that, which would be, um, which would be, uh, production, for example, which will narrow the, the possibilities a little bit. It makes the corridor a little bit smaller, you know, because there are things that we 
cannot do because that if we would do it that way, we would end up with taking too long. And then you end up with a bad soundscape again as well. Because at the end, by the way, for me, when, when I'm talking about the audio vision, it's always the soundscape. I never talk about SFX, music or voiceover separately when I'm talking about the vision, because you, you can have a vision for the subtopics, but what you want to achieve is what comes out of the speakers of your headphone, of your Dolby Atmos setup, of your stereo setup, or whatever. But that's that's what we are building as an audio director. It's at least my perspective on it. Maybe yeah. so. So for me, it's it, it's 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 the soundscape and having the empowerment to get there. And when you work to when you want the team to work together, they need to be convinced. And then it's about the culture of the company as well a little bit. So. I've worked in companies where uh, audio was not as important as in other companies that are working. And you have the feeling at the moment, I'm very lucky to work in a company that very is heavily supportive about audio and where this is a super important point as well. Um, so I'm, I'm very lucky about that. And I personally think that this empowerment also is to come. Uh, so having this combination of your audio team members plus other people in the in the studio and then giving them the possibility to just explore this and the only thing that will limit them and it's not even a bad limitation it's just like hey we need to get over here you know that's that's a reminder this is where you need to go but then explore come up with with the freakiest stuff that you come up with you know be 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 inventive come up with cool ideas with cool sounds with different approaches don't just do Mickey Mousing, make make clear decisions, make cool stuff. And that is the empowerment that you need that comes with a good vision, but that also comes with the pairing and communication with the rest of the team, because then it's, it's this back and forth. It was really, um, uh, I, I had a audit director colleague where we always discussed, uh, it's not just that we receive that is things that we want to have, uh, kind of here is your chiros, put sound on that. But if you come and be open and do communication and not just nagging, we, we had this, I think you said it, Chris, like the, it's not just like, hey, defensive and hey, but we are also important, you know, stuff like that. Everybody has done that at, at a certain point, I think of us. But I, I turned away from that and I'm rather going there. Hey, that's cool shit, isn't it? You know, we should do X. And how about that? And you told me about this one cool idea that you had over here. Shouldn't we maybe? And then, hey, I will connect you with person X in my team. He could maybe, you know, and then, and then just leave them alone and let it, you know, uh, uh, let it, uh, uh, let it grow and come to a cool solution. So I think that is, that is at least how I would approach that. Let's put it that way. Yeah. As a, as another analogy onto this, uh, this whole scenario, I always think about what, what makes game audio professionals special, right? And, uh, since we're talking about audio, audio direction in general, if we, if we look at an audio director as a character build, you know, I think the, 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 the thing that, the, you know, separates us from, from some other disciplines is that after you've actually completed your specialization, you need to start putting a little bit of a, you know, a few skill points in every branch. And this is something that, you know, in the end helps you to be able to come across to all different parts of the team by saying like, you know, I got you. I, I know what you're looking for. So you're talking to the animator and you know what they, uh, how they think, uh, you know, things. And you know about uh, a, 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 what a keyframe means, you know, and what, what is the relationship between this and that. So you can speak in the same language almost. And it is the same when you go into talking with a UI person or a UX person, you know, and a programmer, again, you know, we, we talk about logic all the time. We talk about making systems. We can discuss about this, you know. 
So uh, this is a particular thing. And I think it's it's not just for our directors. I think it, it goes all the way to as soon as you want to start going into this into this um, industry for real, that you realize that, you know, it's not only about I can make great sounds, I can make great music. Uh, it's It's about like I understand game development as a whole. And then I'm able to communicate why uh, this is going to work uh, rather than, you know, it's just going to sound pretty. But that's definitely a big difference I see nowadays compared to when I started uh, definitely 15 years ago. And this is something that maybe also takes us in a, in a different sort of conversation. But, you know, like this uh, difference between the linear world and the interactive world and how, you know, that also uh, you can you can talk about audiovision in the two scenario in the two planes. Uh, because obviously it's important in both, but definitely when it comes into game audio, there's so much more there that you need to speak the, the same language as the people that you're trying to to rally behind you, right? Or, or uh, you know, even sometimes push forward. Yeah, it's it's really um, having the same discourse, the same language. Um, so basically, the same um, um, technical terms that you can use and understand is so important. I think this was. Uh, one of the things that helped me a lot in my career, um, because when I studied, I had this multimedia um, art was the was the study course. So I needed to take other classes as well in in other. So I had three years of um, of Maya of three D animation in Maya. So I, I was even male scripting in Maya. The point is, I really suck at it. I'm really bad, really really bad. But I knew I will I will take that topic, and I really. I took a lot of effort in understanding what they do. I was really bad at doing it. But when I went over to different companies, it was like going to the animator and like, hey, you know, uh, in that rig, I need to go to that bone and I need to have the possibility to attach a sound to a certain bone so we have a more precise uh, specialization of that sound. And then the people are like, ah, yeah, you know, it's, it's like they, they are not like, yeah, this is the one guy who puts music in there. It's, it's always, it was a little bit more like, ah, you know, he's really interested in doing the game audio stuff. So I think this is really something that I also look into when I'm hiring into people that have that we have this German term uh, looking a little bit above the plate, you know, not just a little bit more, seeing seeing the edges of things and understanding the the topics and the needs and 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 having the same discourse of uh, other departments as well. I think. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a, a really interesting thing that kind of across any creative discipline really. Or maybe any discipline ever. Like it's like you know, we should specialize. We should kind of find our areas that we um, spend an extra effort in. But we should never close ourselves to other ones. And I think like you know, I always think that if each department just spent a week doing what the other department does and got lessons, and we try to do that at, at Crytek, we try and like you know have uh, and stuff like that, because it just you know gives you this understanding and i think like was it steve jobs said it like you know his time as studying illustration and uh, typography was one of the most important things that led to his design choices and it's like you just don't know where your inspiration is going to come from you you kind of you you can what do something visual you can do something programming and it can then massively inform your specialty and i think that's across like every discipline that's uh, really important and helps with this again with this communication that we were talking about earlier. So yeah, very interesting. And also I know that because I just spent the last two days editing a video for a mood piece. So you know <laughs> exactly know what you're talking about. 
Thank you very much, Chris. I'm going to spin it back to yourself, actually. Uh, you've proposed the subtopic of creative flow versus business efficiency, the age-old battle. Do you want to give us a bit of an idea on why you chose that topic? Because um, I like philosophizing far too much. Um, but no, this is, yeah, I guess a, a more general one that um, sometimes I think that effectively um, there are sometimes two opposing forces in an entertainment or an arts company that you have the business practices which obviously rely on productivity efficiency um workflow deadlines all these things that are are obviously very very important and then you have this other one which is the creativity and that kind of relies on somewhat an unknown risk taking is at the forefront of creativity i believe and you know um those kind of things just naturally oppose each other and that's not necessarily a bad thing I think that that's a fine thing. It's just something that should be kind of understood from the get-go that um, there is going to be some conflict in these areas. And I think that that conflict, actually, when it's a balanced and understood conflict, can be a beautiful thing, you know, with certain uh, deadlines and rules and boundaries put on creativity normally allows creativity to flourish and come up with incredibly interesting solutions to those boundaries and um vice versa and i think like it's just really interesting if you look into it as well that um there's been a lot of papers studied on this as well like this idea that um humans are naturally averse to creative thought where it comes from other people because we see it as risk and we don't want to take risk and even if you put yourself like there's this really interesting paper i was reading recently by cornell which is like if you put yourself you have a team which is in a creative mindset, you set the intention to be creative, you still naturally will be risk averse. And when people come to you with uniquely creative solutions, you will be averse to them. And um, that kind of means that the creative has to almost, as part of the creative process, fight for your creation. And I think the the best creatives in the world, normally in any any field, they have this, they have this ability to come up with an idea, but also inspire and voice it in a way that gets people behind that idea they fight for that idea to bring it into kind of manifestation um and yeah i just find it a very interesting topic because you know we do work in a business and we do work in an art form um so it's a very interesting thing that i mean for example if someone comes to you and they say we need an idea in a week that that I mean, obviously, that's got to be happening. You've got to come up with ideas within timelines, but that within itself, allowing you to be more efficient with your idea creations, you're much more likely to rely on old techniques you've used. Go to the plugin that works, go to the preset that works. You don't have this time to explore and take risks, which will then result in creativity. So it's just um, a more interesting philosophical question that I think that we deal with very um pretty much every day you know you have to convince people of ideas you have to fight for your um creative vision as well as staying on deadlines staying on budget and all these things and it's just it's a balance that i think uh any director of any discipline really faces so i just kind of wanted to open it to the team and see what people thought i think stefan your hands up first Wait. um so <clears throat> yeah uh i was just thinking that um when you when you give the uh, creative possibilities to the people, um, you should, yeah, maybe I scratch my thoughts. 
it's better enough to go there. That's uh, super. So I, I, I give I give this one up. So give me a sec to re- uh, recollect my thoughts. Sorry. <laughs> Anyone else? I think Richard was next. Sorry. The other audio problem is not finding the mute button. Um, I really like these philosophical questions, so I hope I'm not going to go too deep into this and spend 15 minutes just ranting about or talking about things. Um, this reminds me what you're basically describing. I don't know if you know the book, uh, Creativity Inc. by Ed Catmull, Baby and the Beast. Um, it's basically, well, Ed Catmull's, uh, he, he founded Pixar and he talks quite a lot about these, this, 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 this balance between creativity and, 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 uh, basically that the business you have to make money but you also have to do something which people are really into and you and the actually and the irony here is that the more well the things which generally are appreciated more tend tend to be the ones which are actually the more risky particularly when you're developing like new ips or new new concepts and and to actually find that is i think is incredibly difficult to find that balance and, and ironically i think this goes back a lot to to what where we started with this and the two other questions that were just answered is it is to do with the people to do with the team that you build and it's to do with the way you kind of like evangelize to that team and then get that vision within that and then they can actually move forward but within the within the confines and the structure of the business itself um yeah i it's yeah like i was saying you could really go really deep into this so like Stefan is like, I don't blame you because it's quite a difficult one to answer. But the, um, but like, like I say, it is about the people and it's getting the mindset within the team to not fall back on the cliches of what you're doing, but we do it within the structure of the vision and the, and the business sense as well. And the structure of the, of the, the, the IP or whatever you're working within. Um, and I really, to be honest, I really think that's probably the, the key to try and make to kind of like make that that happen uh i'm gonna duck out and let someone else speak for a bit and we can philosophize a little bit more i can i can follow i certainly also uh enjoy uh going into this deep deep terrain of uh of conversation and and uh but i i would also say that there is practicality in this question right and i think definitely chris you're you're onto something here which is that balance between like not only what the what the game needs, but what what you know the audio professional wants and the audio director wants and the designer wants and so on and so forth. And this is where I think the key aspect of a an audio director could also come into play, which is you know try to make sure to to that you communicate onto the team very clearly what the goal is for the next segment of time that you have in front of you. Right, there is a need from the game team that you need to achieve certain things before. Uh, a certain time and um, what i always say is like you know reach the mvp as soon as possible so you can then spend as much time as you have left into polishing and making this as good as it can be but the interesting part about this is that as good as it can be is for you as a as an artist you know as a professional that could always be like you know expanded you you, you there are certain things that it would never end uh if you if you were able to i, I know myself i have a million folders with ideas, music ideas, and so on that I'll probably never touch, but I keep on them, you know, I keep to them uh, somewhere in there in the, in the event that one day I will actually uh, finish them. Now, if I were tasked onto making an album and there is a clear direction of what this album should be, and there is a moment when I know that I need to release this album, then obviously that puts everything into a, a much more like ordered um, 
structure, right? And it's like bringing order to the chaos of of being creative. So that obviously then connects us to the the cliche of limitations are often what inspires more creativity, right? Or but it, but it's definitely true in in most scenarios. Even when you know that you have less time than you would hope for. And there are certain things that people are expecting that you actually do because, you know, some people might not like it if you don't do those things. You know, there are certain uh, type of games and certain type of projects that expect you to do certain things in a certain way, which might not be exactly where you want to push things. So great. Start there as soon as you can get into that base level and uh, you know that you can then satisfy the, the initial goal, right, from both the game team and from the player's perspective. Once you're there, then what can you do to improve upon that, right? Like what what would make you the most proud of uh, if you had all the time in the world? And then that all the time in the world, you just like cut it into where the timeline ends, where the deadline ends. And hopefully it won't be crunching uh, so that you never get to that stage. But, you know, that's that's basically where the balance, I think, between creative flow and business efficiency uh, lies. Okay, so give it a shot by... Um talk with my thoughts a little bit here um because <clears throat> the, the the business efficiency that uh, we were talking about is actually something that i think is not not actually contradicting uh creative flow it, it depends heavily on the role this is where i wanted to end up so if you give the people the creativity that they uh that they need to have the empowerment this is also true for a textile designer because I'm, I, if I would look back at my career, I would call myself rather a tech sound designer. I was very much into how to use, you know, how to explore FMOD in a way that uh, even the guys from FMOD were like, I didn't know that we could, that you could do that. You know, when I had a meeting with them, I showed them my one thing that we did and they were like, you shouldn't be able to do that. You know, like, so it's, it's all about, it's all about tech and finding cool solutions. I was like super proud back then, you know, like, ah, oh, I was super smart. And that was like the, 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 the creative flow. I had the possibility to, uh, to explore a uh, functionality and in the system. Um, it was not about the sound at that point in time. That was some, something that we did later, or you can hand over to internal, uh, solutions or outsources and, and get back with the best assets ever, but also creating a system, being, being there and making use of that system and creating that system can be a very creative flow. But creating the systems will bring back when I talked about those three things before and my three visions, uh, will give you back the amount of, um, time and possibilities, cutting out those 70% of repetitive tasks that people need to do. So you just need to find the right people. So I think uh, you, uh, one of you said that you need to have the right team. And that's exactly the point. You need to have, you know, you need to check out and, uh, and distribute your um, your points <laughs> in the team so that you have somebody. And I don't know if you have experience that sitting down with a textile designer and, and he or she is like, you know, we could do this and that, and you have this, you know, like being totally fired up about the cool idea, how you could have a solution for this big thing. And then we just do a script, you know, and then we can do this like with one button and then like, oh my God, this is, you know, the make the sound good button, you know, like it is this crazy thing that you would love to have sometimes. Um, and so therefore it's, 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 it's not contradicting it. You can sell it in a different way because the business efficiency is something that of course the people that, uh, that, that pay the bill at the end will be interested in but um just uh, using your resources right and making this something that everybody wants to 
wants to achieve is 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 maybe the the goal or the, the the thing that we need to that we need to create so having having the roles used in the right way and let them work on the stuff and empower them to give uh, something something cool and the outcome of that would be more business efficiency even that you just gave them more creative uh, uh, power or energy or possibilities yeah oh that's me now yeah, sorry, I was just enjoying the conversation, really. I, I don't know, I, I'm sure I had something else to say, but it's kind of gone, gone from my head. Um, yeah, I, I, I think I, I definitely agree with what, all the points you said. It's just it's one of those ones that kind of spirals quite quickly into like a, you know, a bottle of wine conversation, which is maybe another podcast you should do, you know, get everyone a bottle of wine and see how the conversation goes. Um, but yeah, I, I think um, my feeling is just it's, it's something that should be talked about within a team. Like I think it, there should be an understanding that the you know these two things will conflict at points, and that that's a good thing, and that you know it's something that um, a kind of conversation that should be had between understanding that there's that kind of battle going to be happening between between those people. Sorry, Richard, uh, I'm passing it over to you. I was, I was I was very curious to see what other people had to say. Yeah, no, it's okay. I, um, the, actually, I only really had one point that I wanted to bring up. That, that basically, because a lot of the conversation before um, you were just closing off there, now I've opened it up again, it was about like structure and how you structure it, Scott. But I, I was I, the point that I really wanted to bring up that to actually create creativity, you need a, a certain amount of chaos. You need you need to actually live within that world of chaos that 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 allows these like out of the box thinking to to come to light. So if you structure things too much, or you you don't you don't allow the the creative. Well, you do allow creativity within structure. I'm not saying that, but you, there is a certain like needs must kind of a mentality to to be truly truly like do something truly different. So you kind of need to be presented with the challenges. And a lot of that comes from just like having to deal with the, the general chaos of sometimes what grain development generally is. But yeah, that's that's that was all I was really hoping to give my message to go across. Yeah, you did. I definitely agree with that too. And I think that's another part of that understanding that again, uh, a team which just everyone agrees with with each other in a very hierarchical system. It's going to be very efficient, but it's probably not going to give you the best results creativity. And that's fine if that's from the top and that's the understanding that, you you know, right now you want to make a product which is efficient and you get it out there and you're not trying to shake the hot, you know, the wasp's nest. You're not trying to do something which is going to change the industry that that's fine. It's just it's I feel like it's a you should always kind of touch base on how creative and therefore how chaotic maybe you want this project to be. And then once everyone has that kind of understanding, it's interesting because I think I've worked on very indie projects where there's an understanding it's going to be a bit of a chaotic, you know, free for all. But you do come up with incredibly creative solutions for things. And it's like sometimes that's what I was going to say. I just remembered it. But sometimes like, um, you know, it's interesting that sometimes it's, it's important to inform people that make maybe the higher up decisions that um, creativity can massively pay off if it's done well and everyone's behind it such as you know i think the reimagining of god of war was incredibly creative that was a big risk but it paid off because they just everyone was behind it and everyone did it very well and then like um everything everywhere all at once i would have loved to be in the room when the daniels pitched that to hollywood and we're like we're going to make this film where it's just crazy um but again 
it's just done so well. And you can see that everyone was so behind it and the vision. And they're obviously very good directors that they pulled it off. And I think it's that, it's that understanding that if we're going to go down this route, it's going to be a bit chaotic, but just trust the process because we're going to get there. Um, and not, I guess, a year down the line be like, wait a sec, this is a bit chaotic. It's costing a bit too much money or something along those lines. It's like, it's just, I feel like it really has to be this conversation that everyone's kind of on board the chaos ship or the creative ship or the optimized ship. You know, it just has to be a kind of understanding within the whole team. Right. So just to connect to everything that you, that you are all mentioning, like the, especially the chaos part that you brought Richard and, uh, and also some of the other aspects about the team and how the team is, uh, is capable of doing certain things. I also realized that this might um, be connected to kind of like the, you know, the standard, the, the, uh, the, the jazz uh, scenario, right? We are all musicians, we are jamming, and we're going to play standard, right? So for us to actually be able to feel like we've created something new and novel and we all align and our beats are, you know, beating at the same time and so on, First and foremost, we need to all know the standard, right? Like that we are going to be playing. And uh, secondly, we need to know our scales. We need to know our instrument. We need to know our craft. And then we're going to start like realizing, okay, now I have this, this segment for me where I'm going to be really, really creative. But that's also going to be what, what is perceived out of the, the other end. But in reality, there's there's a lot of premeditation and uh, training to get you there, right? So from that perspective, I think creativity is always good when it has a, a some sort of boundary that you have uh, found yourself in uh, that you can then exploit as much as possible to try and you know think about outside the box and uh, do all these crazy things. But realistically, there are very very defined segments that you you know that as soon as you go outside of that, then it becomes something else. It's not a bad thing, but it will become something else. That's all I wanted to add on that. Sorry, Stefan, I think you were first, but then, so yeah, off to you. All good, all good. Um, yeah, I was just thinking that one thing that I think is really important that uh, back to the, a little bit back to the vision building and also about the efficiency. So also mixing those two topics in a little bit, uh, but it's that um, vision or being a director that has a clear vision and therefore also having a clear understanding of what needs to be achieved at the, or what we want to achieve, it, it it's a difference to make people do something in terms of you need to do it that way or it needs to be that sound or to just have this here is the soundscape that we want to end up with. So that there is a big difference in that. Uh, and I need to admit uh, over, the, over the years I... It was more like, I have this very specific thing and I want to tell you how to, can't you, you know, how it would be good if you, if you, uh, and, you know, and, and you discuss with your team, you, you try to make this a reality. But um, the more uh, you step back and the more you, you're just like, here, over there, we would love to achieve that. Um, you need to adapt it a little bit. That's true. But, but you have the freedom to, to do it your way and bring in your chaotic way or your creativity. Because that is basically the empowerment of people, you know, having those, all of those, um, uh, as uh, Peter Drucker would say, you know, the, the product management guru guy, um, he would say, uh, this is a knowledge worker. You know, we have all of, all of the people that are in our teams are knowledge workers. They do now have the, the people in our teams are those specialized in certain topics. Back then, you know, I, I, 
felt more like a Swiss army knife because two, three audio people doing the whole game. And now you have like this, you know, here's this very specific guy over there that used uh, that is like super hardcore just into scripting. And uh, the other one, the other sound designer that is really and the Foley artist, you know, all of those are very niche and very detailed knowledge worker jobs. And you want this potential. You hire those people to do those cool stuff uh, and not just to, hey, you need to achieve that at the end. So therefore, the vision, again, to, to, to circle back to that one, the vision is about an end product, a feeling, uh, uh, a thing that you want to formulate, but the way it needs to be in the team. So therefore, you hire. So therefore, for vision building only works out when you have a, a team that really works out and that you can relate to and that relates to you and that can read what, what's going on and where we want to go. Um, so I think that is really important. And um, I think when... I think it was very interesting. Um, uh, the one of my teachers. So, so, so my my university was a very artsy one. You know, it was very artsy. It was not about tool competence. It was not about hey, you learn here is uh, whatever uh, Nuendo or Pro Tools, and you do, and this is the button press that. It was not about tool competence. It was like hey, here doors use whatever you like, but you need to get something done. So it was all about uh, the German term is Fertigstellungskompetenz, which means um, the, co uh, the competence to get something done, to, to finalize something. And uh, the fun fact was that was not, uh, that was communicated not by one of our management teachers. We had management teachers. We had people that tried to teach us that stuff. That was communicated by uh, by the head of the whole uh, study uh, course, and she was a oil painter, the painter from Vienna. So she was as artsy as as it can get. You know, she was doing uh, 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 big oil paintings, and it was all about very arty approaches and very you know brain approach, creative approach to achieve something in your picture. But she was like, "But you need to get your stuff done." So she, a person that I would never thought that she she would say, you know, no, no, we need to have, I need to have my creative freedom. She was all about, but you need to be finalized at a certain point sometimes. So therefore, you need to find ways as a creative to achieve that because it doesn't help me. It doesn't help me to to have to have all of those uh, uh, creative thoughts when I cannot bring it into the product. Basically, you know, if if there are tons of creative ideas. And you end up with all of them being in the product, and all of them are just half-assed half into the product. You will end up with something that is not good. So therefore, rather choose the stuff that you really want to choose, focus on it, and really work on that stuff, and make it good, and make it make it really good. You know, that, that I think that is maybe an approach to that. So, yeah. Well, it's a great conversation. I loved it. Uh, I won't continue. All I can say is that, Franco, I thought I was the only person that used that jazz jamming metaphor to their team. But no, like, obviously, <laughs> I love it. Like, yeah, I, I say the same thing all the time. Like, um, that, you know, that you, you sometimes you're just running on. <laughs> I hate saying it because it's the worst word to use as an audio director, but like vibe and that kind of like, you know, sometimes you just it's just everyone's feeling the same kind of thing, which I think is actually just a word for subconscious. Like, and I could going back to the idea of vision being you know pure vision and when you're really directing well it comes from this kind of um very core emotive experience based thing that everyone can understand but yeah super and of course interesting conversation 
I won't take us from Richard's question any longer. Thank you very much. Very natural segue there, Chris. You're a great co-host. Uh, moving on to our fourth and final subtopic, proposed by yourself, Richard, in very fitting fashion here. You've proposed the topic of so much to do, so little time. What and how do you prioritise at the end of a project? So, Richard, uh, why? Uh, why is actually very simple. It's exactly where I am right at this very minute. So we're just uh, finishing off this project. It's a big AAA. Uh, I'll, I'll remain nameless for now, but I guess if you know the company I work for, you'll know what it is. Um, so it, this kind of ties up. I would like, having gone through this conversation with you guys now, I think it ties up really nicely what we've been discussing. So you start at the beginning, you create your vision, you build your team, you start working on the game, you're, you're running through. And like with all projects that I've ever done with audio, you have this dream of having a really nice amount of time at the end to do your mix, to get everything right, to really, really build something really, really special. And of things change, you know, during production, the design changes, the, the pressures from the publisher, whatever, whatever, things just, just change. And you know when the ship date is, but you were always moving the whole project. It's just moving slightly closer and closer and closer. So you have this dream of like, okay, I'm going to do, I'm going to mix for four months. Yeah, that's going to be fantastic. But then as reality really, really, really hits, uh, you never, I've never had the, the, the luxury of that amount of time at the end of a project. Um, and you get to, and what I've found in all the projects that I've done is that you get to a point where you have to start compromising and, and trying to work out, okay, what, where do I put my eggs and, you know, which, where do I actually prioritize to make sure I get the projects out the door? It's sort of a standard that we're all proud of doing. And, you know, and it's, we're not going to like mess up and like forget to do half the cinematics or something like that, which is uh, another very complicated thing. So um, I have a few of my own techniques and ideas of how to do this, but I'm actually curious to open the floor to you guys first before I actually taint your, taint your, your thoughts with my ideas. So, um, ah, but now we have a, situation where no one's put their hands up yet i uh i really want to put my hand up but at the same time like the projects i want at the moment is one that is a live service and one that is in probably uh an undisclosed amount of time going to be exactly where we're talking about now so i'm actually much more interested to hear the answers myself um it's not very helpful is it no <laughs> <laughs> so maybe if i just finalized one so uh, maybe uh, so the point is, um, I think the prioritization comes comes is, is driven, and and it sounds stupid because I always circle back to this. My prioritization is always driven by by the vision. So it's it's always what did we want to achieve, and what was the game, and what should the soundscape be about. Um, then I need to sit down, and I normally use uh, uh, use some meetings with um, with leads and uh, producers uh, to go through this because um, there are always there are always there is a lot of input from 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 other people about that, and maybe I and I, and I really want them to be part of that. Uh, so, but at the end, I I think it is driven by the vision, and normally I really sit down and just sign up on what will help me to achieve that vision and what will be a nice dream, a nice additional uh, stuff. So it's all about uh, getting rid of features and hopefully having having had a better planning before because maybe the whole thing, what you need to focus on at the end should 
be or could be rather the question of what did you focus on in the beginning? And how did you do your planning and your prioritization? Um, so if you have a, uh, and it doesn't help at that point anymore, because then you need to just get through the, the whole thing and be the project closer, you know, the, the person that really decides have some hard, uh, uh, tough cookies, you know, so because then it's stuff that you need to cut stuff that you don't need to, uh, that you can't do. And basically it's time to kill your babies. You know, it's really like that was something that I really wanted to have in there, but it won't be good. And then we end up with the things that we discussed before. I will have maybe 100 features, but some of them will be like in there, just, just in the weirdest level. Yeah. Just, I mean, they will be in there, but they won't be good. And you don't want that. So it's always about. Can I live with get, with cutting that, or can I live with reducing that, or can I live with uh, creating less sounds for that, or maybe doing a push if there is a live product later on, you know, so that you say now we have two variations of that, and then we can push it a little bit later and now make it a little bit better. Take a second look at it. Um, that is something that you can decide depending on on the nature of your product if you if you can uh, do so. But at the end, it's always about the vision and then about being brave and focusing on stuff that works and really has an effect on the game instead of finalizing the things that you wanted to do at a certain point in time because then it's just about it would be about my ego it would be about me doing the cool things that we wanted to do or some people in the team wanted to do but then we need to step uh, take a step back uh, watch the whole picture and think about okay we really could live without that one feature or simplify it make it easier uh, for, for, for the team to achieve, uh, because that will help us to finalize two or three other features in the, in the, in the best manner. And the player will only hear the end product. So he or she will never hear the non-existent feature that we created. You know, there won't be something missing for them. It will be, uh, it will be on our side. We will be there like, God damn it. That could have been so cool. You know, like imagine if that cool feature is in there, but it isn't. But nobody will miss it because nobody has heard the soundscape that you wanted to be heard. So I think it's something that you, you need to swallow and just like, okay, step back and, and just focus on a few other things and reduce the amount of stuff that you need to uh, finalize and make that one really, really good. You know? Yeah. It most likely will not help you to sort stuff out, but it was just my thought on it. Uh, um, I definitely connect to that as well. And I think like, you know, typically what you want to start is by by asking the question, who will be the biggest judge of your work, right? And and sure, probably that's going to be you, but who who is going to be the most honest judge? That's going to be the player, right? That's what will the player notice? Um, and, and in my experience, at least, like typically the players notice the mistakes or the things that are wrong the most. Uh, you know, that might explain a lot of game reviews in general as well when, when they come to audio. If they are, you know, being described there in, 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 in a long <laughs> uh, manner is because probably there is something that was a missed opportunity, right? So that could help you prioritize at the end of a project. I think that's typically uh, the sort of things that I try to sit on the mix as soon as possible is like try to bring someone that will you know, this could be anyone in the team, uh, QAs do a fantastic job in this, but anyone else that really um, can can represent what the play the player's average experience of this game is going to feel like, it's going to be like. And I just, you know, 
connect the middleware onto it and listen and see what happens, right? And how often that happens. And some things that you might thought that, you know, they're going to be sounding great because they're just going to be playing once. And then you realize that they're performing that action over and over and over again. Then it becomes annoying. And if they play it that way, then that's something that you want to definitely pay more attention to as soon as possible because it could end up being something that they uh, they will feel like uh, the players will feel like it's not meant to be the same way. It's going to break the immersion. You don't want to break the immersion. You want to make sure that audio feels natural. The world is alive because audio is there, right? And that's that's what um, I try to use as as the the compass to prioritize what to do at the end of the project. And also, we need to be honest, right? We're not doing cartridges anymore. So there's always post-launch, there's always day one patch, and there's always expansions coming on, and there's always ways to uh, circumvent things that you wish you would have been able to do uh, or to polish further. Um, but those those definitely are not uh, typically supposed to be the things that that uh, that you wanted to have missed before coming out with the game, right? These are things that you know that for you to be happy and for the team to be happy, you want to put some some effort onto, but maybe that's uh, on the priority list again, that's something that you can certainly do uh, later on. No, this is really interesting stuff because I think, yeah, you're, right, you're absolutely right. It's like, I think there's two points in there that I'd like to take forward. It's like, what does the player know? Things that they miss, I think is, is a really good point. And the other one is what you just said, Franco, is, is what the team is happy about and actually really, really happy because finalizing a project is, is uh, there's quite a lot of, because if you work on something for three or four or five years, there's quite a lot of emotion involved in these, you know, you, you really invest your time and your energy and your your soul into them. Uh, and it goes back to like what we were saying right at the beginning um, is that, yeah, we set the vision, but but to make sure that you have to make sure that that vision follows all the way through. And I think for me anyway, when, when we're looking at the game, you kind of have to reevaluate what the game actually is from the thing that you were thinking it was from the beginning and you, you so you have this idea in your head all the way through all the way through and then suddenly it all starts to come together and you're going like hold on this isn't quite how i imagined it to because so many people are like putting all their creative energy into creating something you're going okay this isn't quite the same and i think there's a, a definite element of like having to recalibrate and then almost like re-educate yourself on the same product that you've been making for a long long time and making sure that it, it kind of is there and then that kind of for me, anyway, it kind of informs how then I, I then start re rethinking about the or reprioritizing the vision. So okay, this the, you know then and then then it's a matter of like re-education back into the team to say okay, hey, we were doing this, but actually now we're doing this. What do you think if we can like twist it a bit and then try and make that <laughs> that process much much basically efficient and fast and make the decisions in a very very like fast way. Um, and I do think there's a lot to do with like the people you're working with as well and the team that you're working with and, and just being able to have that trust and have that that um, that uh, have them to be empowered and have them to have the trust in you and you to have the trust in them to just to run as fast as they can towards, uh, towards the end goal. And from an audio director's standpoint or from any director's standpoint, it's, yeah, that the mix is really important. And I, I, I wholly, absolutely, a hundred percent that that is where you make or break like the, the the true feeling of the game you're making there's also an element in there that that if you've set the vision or if you set the vision correctly and you've done your job well then as a director you shouldn't really be directing 
towards the end of the game, you could kind of like step back and allow the team who knows the game probably better than you do in their individual areas to just run and, and go with it all the way through and get to that finalization phase and get to that prioritization. And then maybe what the audio director's role is then is more to kind of step back from the, what does it, you know, what is it from the vision perspective, to, just to make sure it's not going overboard or not, you know, the people aren't working too much on certain things or just going into too much detail in certain areas. And then you can start kind of like start pacing the team out to get to the finalization of the game. Um, and just to go back to my own original question is it's like when like when that when it starts getting shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter the time that you have to, to complete the game, then those decisions and those conversations have to start happening faster and faster and faster. And the information flow has to be quicker, not only within the audio team, but also within the rest of the dev team. It's almost like having kind of like funnel like the 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 team and actually start kind of what I'd like to say is kind of like pulling not pulling people out so much, but just kind of like really focusing the communication and communi the communication of the and the the information flow towards the end of the project. So you can really start going, okay, this is this is gonna actually make it out the door and this is this is gonna be within the in the, within the ballpark of what we're trying to do. Uh Chris, do you have your hand up? Yeah, I really like the idea you're touching on there, which I think comes a lot as a, as as a leader of a team is that um, sometimes your your only job is to stand between the team and things that might distract or hurt them or demotivate them and things like that. And I think while I haven't had it quite the same as what you're talking about, like on a AAA project right at the end, um, with the the live content we have to do, we have like constant events and they do have deadlines and. I think a lot of the time, you know, if there's trailers that need to go out, content that needs to be finished, um, at those times, it's sometimes being the person that stands in between of a person who's quite stressed and maybe doesn't quite know how the best to communicate it with the team. And you, you're the person that gets that. And because, like you say, mostly at that time, you don't have loads of content to do. It's your team that does. So standing in that position and kind of you know, taking that and then communicating with that person and being the kind of buffer in between you and your team so your team can kind of just get on with the work that they need to do is uh, is very important. And, um, and also, I think a key part of just leadership in general is that, like, you know, you are kind of sometimes in, the, in a position that's not the most rewarding because your team sometimes don't notice all the what you do for them. And then you have to take a lot of hits from the outside teams as well and um but that's kind of what it is like you're there for your team as a leader and i think like in these moments of stress that's where it's most important that you kind of stand there sometimes and 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 do that job um that's my input that's really nicely put actually yeah beautiful beautiful Okay, well, it looks like we're almost ready to round up. I do actually have a very quick question to ask each of you. What is your favorite or what do you think the best sounding game is of all time? And in a few words, one sentence, why? Just shout one out. You don't have to pick your favorite ever. Uh, anyone anyone want to throw on it? Senua uh, Hellblade. Uh, why? That was the only game that actually like audio wise just like did something to me on this like very subconscious instinctive level. It was crazy. Like with the voices and everything like that. There you go, that's mine. Uh, I always go back to Portal and Portal 2 in particular. I think 
Valve or everything like all the Half-Life uh, games and all of that and Left 4 Dead, they're, they're incredibly well structured and well gamer-focused audio design. And Port 2 is my favorite of those. Um, that's why. Yeah. Um, Dead Space, the original one. I mean, the second one was also good, but the original one. Um, then also Portal. I played it like, I mean, like, you know, in every situation with my wife, Couch Corp, all of that jazz. So it's really, it's, it's awesome. And all of the stuff that he did with the music uh, uh, of, of the portals and those. Ah, never mind. Really, really good. Um, and, uh, and Limbo. Ooh. I think Limbo was awesome. Martin did a very good job with that. Uh, I still, uh, when I'm teaching, it's always one of the examples of how to achieve a lot with, with not little, because there's a lot of stuff in there, but with a reduced, clear, you know, a clear vision, a clear understanding of what's going on. Nice soundscape. Really, really good. I think if I, if I have to think back onto what caused one of the first big moments of like, I want to do this for a living, which, you know, doesn't necessarily mean that it's the best audio experience, but it's definitely the audio experience that resonated with me the most. It probably goes all the way to Ocarina of Time uh, for, you know, The Legend of Zelda and, and realistically because of how all of the sounds that are part of that experience feel like very naturally connected to one another. Like the music is, it has themes that are going to be, that have become transcendental onto the experience there. I can hum them in my, in my sleep, even, you know, like, um, all of the VO or the barks, you know, that every culture and every, every type of character you meet have, they're so distinct and they're so like themselves that, uh, you can, you can never forget how, how that actually, uh, sounds, you know, and you can associate it with that. So then anything else that will come after that might seem to be even slightly related to that will will make you think about it and and causing that that sensation that that feeling is is definitely very powerful um but i i, I have a really hard time with this question because i think i've always been i it's been a long time since i was able to to experience or play any game without doing some sort of analysis at the same time uh so i take bits and pieces from everything that i play recently and you know all the time uh, and there are there are obviously things that I like in in every uh, in every title that has come in the last what twenty five years <laughs> since Ocarina of Time as well. Uh, but yeah, The Last of Us. You mentioned something Chris before with the breathing and you know how that ties in into into making making realistically uh, possible that the characters move with. The animations react to audio. Everything reacts to audio, and 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 audio reacts to everything. That that kind of mentality also thinks um, it's really interesting to to have into consideration. Yeah, it's a very tough one to just like rule one out. Yeah, I, 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 I didn't tell the guys about this question. Of course, I just threw it at them to get an impulsive answer. I I love that the last of us got a mention because naturally that's that's probably the one that I think about the most when I think of game audio. Um, just a very special game there. Yeah, did someone else have something? Chris, did you have something to add? I, I was just say, Returnal. I think Returnal should get a shout out. Just because, like, I mean, I, I know there's a lot of very complicated systems in it, but it's like the scope of The Last of Us is mind-blowing or God of War or something like that. But in terms of just having an audio aesthetic, Returnal just blew my mind. It's like I just listened to that 
like you just have it playing in the background with the music going on it's like it's like an amazing piece of like ambient electronica it's yeah that kind of blew my mind recently yeah i'm really looking forward to uh trying it out in dolby atmos as well as soon as it comes out i mean i could try it on pc but i i'm still waiting for the console experience so yeah very very soon hopefully oh yeah playstation did that upgrade recently didn't they dolby atmos over hdmi yeah strongly <laughs> Anyway, sorry, yeah. I'm just spiraling into another conversation where a bunch <laughs> of audio directors talk together for like five hours. That could be a new thing. Yeah, I suppose so. You know, we haven't really gone into the sort of parts, uh, you know, idea with podcasts. We've just kept them in one, but we might have to start thinking about it, especially if you're back on it, Chris. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I just wanted to say a, a, a quick thank you to our four panelists today, Richard, Stefan, Franco and Chris. It's been a blast. Um, yeah, we usually we describe it as a bit of a melting pot of ideas that we chuck ingredients into, but I think at this point the pot's definitely overflowing with ideas. It's been a, an intense episode, but I, I hope all four of you enjoyed it. And a big thank you to you, the listener, for sticking through the podcast and making it to the end. We hope you enjoyed the episode and we look forward to welcoming you again very soon.